It's Wednesday night, and we are in a study on the Charismatics and the Baptists and all the doctrines that they teach are false. The reason they're false is because they don't define anything. They don't tell you what anything means. They just take an English Bible and say it means this or that, and it's not true. We have to go back to the Greek definition of the New Testament and back to the Hebrew definition of the Old Testament. You say, but Jim, I don't understand Greek and I don't understand Hebrew. You don't have to. If you'll stay in touch with me and talk to me, I'll teach you how to look up the Greek words in the New Testament in a concordance. This is a concordance. It's got all the words listed alphabetically in it. There's a particular word that always interests me to look up. It is the word ordained. Ordained. When you look up ordained, and there'll be a number to the side of it, and it'll have uh, 10... 93, I believe, is one of them, or 1091. 1091. And then it'll have ordained again in another verse, and it'll start with the first time it's listed in the Bible. When you get to the New Testament, the first time it's mentioned, you'll have about 12 different Greek words that are translated into ordained. That's not right. But we don't have a language broad enough to encompass all those words, so that's why we have to look them up. I mean, what what are we going to do? We have sometimes the word ordained will mean will mean well, like Acts thirteen forty eight, when it says, "As many as were ordained to eternal life believe." That word ordained is tasso. This word 1091 is the word tithomai. Tithomai is the same word that Jesus used when he said, I laid down my life for my sheep. Sometimes the word ordained will be that. Sometimes it'll be tasso. This means an orderly arrangement. You You can't trust the King James Bible. You can look the words up in a concordance, but I said a while ago that all Mr. Strong is going to give you, he's going to have singular, I'm putting this on the board again for the TV, singular, plural, masculine and feminine, neuter, gender in the singular, masculine and feminine, neuter, gender in the plural, and then he'll have the cases, nominative, genitive, dative, accusative case, and sometimes he'll have a vocative case in the singular, only so this would just be be 27 ways to spell a lot of the words some of the words 24 normally to sell, spell most of the words so nominative case would be the subject of the sentence or the predicate nominative the subject is like Jim is the pastor a predicate nominative is the word in the predicate that's equal to the subject. 
And there'll always have to be a being verb involved. Jim is the pastor. If it's uh, so, Jim would be the subject, pastor would be the predicate nominative. That would be the nominative case. Generative case would be like like uh, baptism of repentance. Of repentance, when you look it up in an analytical lexicon, it will tell you that it's genitive case. That means that it shows possession. That way, when you see that, you don't even have to know that baptism it was a word, a blood baptism was a death. Simply by looking up the part of speech, you can see that baptism belongs to true repentance. It can't be water when you find out that of repentance is genitive case and it shows possession of baptism. So whenever you're repenting, you're baptized with the blood of Christ. That's death to self. A blood baptism was a death. Then the dative case is the indirect object. Jim threw John. He didn't throw John. He threw John the ball. John is the indirect object. Ball always receives the action of the verb. And ball is the direct object. It receives the action. And in a direct object, in an indirect object, you have to have an action verb. Just like you had to have a being verb in in the uh, in a predicate nominative and a subject. Well, all Mister Strong will give you. This is for people watching. He only gives you nominative case, masculine gender, singular. When you see John three sixteen, he'll give you cosmos. For nominative, masculine, and singular. That's what it'll give you. But that's not the actual word in John 3.16. It's a form of cosmos, which means an orderly arrangement. Orderly arrangement. He actually gives you nominative, masculine, and singular, but the word is actually, it's accusative case. It receives the action of the verb, for God so loved the world. Loved is the verb. And he loved what? What, does re- what receives the action of God loving? The world. So it's actually K-O-S-M-O-N, which is a form of cosmos. This is all you can get when you go into Strong's. What am I going to be? How can I tell... If it's a, uh, how can I tell if it's another word? You, what you need to get the literal spelling of a word. You're going to have to get a interlinear Bible. The interlinear Bible has the exact spelling from the original text. Have the exact spelling if it's masculine, feminine, or neuter in the singular or the same in or the plural or the singular. And it'll tell you the exact spelling. So you go to this 
and you get the exact spelling, write it down on a paper, but you can't get the spelling out of a... You've got to put the spelling of the Greek word. So you're going to have to learn your Greek alphabet. It's not hard. You already know most of it. Let me give it to you one more time. Instead of A, B, C, D, they have A, B, G, D. Instead of making a D like this, just pretend you're going to curl it up there, and you got the D. Why is the G up here between the B and the D? It's there because they were here first before we were. You get it? So they can put the D where they want to, the G where they want to. That's a G. G. G's are never pronounced J. They're never the soft G, Genesis. It's always Genesis. G. Always. G-E-N-N-E-S-I-S. In the Greek is the word Genesis, but it's pronounced Genesis. means nativity. Okay, you got A, B, G, D. Right here, I divide the alphabet up. E, Z. If you can remember, easy. This is small e, e. Pronounced e. Z. Z's not down there because they were here before we were. So, Z is like this. That's a Z. And this is a this is a long e like they. So if you can remember, easy, easy, that'll be the second part of the alphabet, a b g d easy, and then a theta. This is like a th. Remember t h l i b o. Narrow is the way. That's one letter. In the Greek alphabet, one letter. Then you get to our alphabet. This is ours. I. No J. Forget any J's. I K. K looks like a K. And the L looks like you've taken the leg off the front of it, put it on the back, and leaned it backward. That's an L. That's a lambda. Kappa, Lambda, Mu. This is an M. Small M looks like an upside down H. So what it looks like. Start making it another way. Looks like an upside down H. And N looks like a V. It's called a Nu. This is an X. A Kazee. You've heard me say Kazenos. X-E-N-O-S. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is try you. Kazinos. It comes from Kanizo, X C N I Z O. You say, I don't understand pronouncing that K. What if you said Kazalophone? Xylophone. You know what a xylophone is? Ding, 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 ding. So that would be like, this is an X here. Kazinos. Omicron, O. This is an ah. P. Looks like pi, and it is. 
P. Rowe, that's an R, S. T. I had I should have had him put on the ending of a word. It's like our S with a small curl on the bottom. This is an S in the middle of a word. That's a sigma. Tau, T. Then Upsilon, that's pronounced U. That's a U, Upsilon. Phi, Ki, Pazi. Remember P, S, U, C, H, I, K, O, S. That is the word natural. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness. Tim, that's the word, that's natural. This is a key. C H R I S T O S or C H R I S in the middle of a word. So it's done. S T O S. Christos, Christ. Omega. There's two O's. There's a short O, ah, and this is pronounced O. So if you can get to here, it's basically alphabet to the end. If you memorize that, it's not hard. Then you look up a word in the interlinear Bible, and then you can on with the show. Now, let's get to what I'm talking about tonight. What's wrong with the Baptist? What's wrong with the Pentecostals and the Charismatics? Nobody knows what any words mean. They just read from the Bible and tell you what they think it's talking about. I think it's very sad. My father was an old country Baptist preacher. didn't know much about the Bible. I think he thought he did, but he didn't. Let me read you some things I've written down here. The Charismatics talk about all kinds of words that are not true. Baptists are talking about words that are not true. Pentecostals are talking about words that are not in the Bible. The word define means to limit. It comes from an old French word, definir, D-E-F-I-N-E-R-E. D-E-F-I-N-E-R-E. Definir means to limit or bound or finish. Let me show you something that's interesting about this. You can see meanings in words. Let me just connect something for you here that you probably wouldn't even think of. I study words. If I had life to do over, I'd study every word and every language and I'd try to learn a bunch of languages because you can see the definitions in the meaning of the words. Define. Define. D means to put a limit on something. On fine. Fine from fine we get finite. Something that's finite is limited. Infinite infinite is the word infinite and it means it goes on forever you go outside on a clear night and you see everything looks the stars look infinite they just keep on going out there so define means to put a boundary on 
to put a boundary. It's kind of like saying, I saw a fly, uh, I saw, I saw in the springtime, I saw an element flying around uh, my flowers and it landed on the flowers and got a, got some pollen out and took it over to another flower. You got to define that. It wasn't an elephant, it was a bee. You can just come up and say, I'll call it whatever I want to call it. That's kind of like saying these words mean whatever I want to say they mean. No, they don't. You have to put a limit on it. It means give the distinguishing characteristics. If I'll tell you something that really bothered me really bad when I was growing up. I didn't know what faith was. I didn't know how to, what it meant. Have faith in God. How do you have faith in God? Do you believe that He existed? That's not having faith in Him. You have to understand something about faith. Faith is a noun. In the Greek language, you've got nouns, and you have a verb form of the noun. The verb form is believe. Now, a verb shows action. Action. So, faith is not a dead faith. There has to be a change. I keep saying, faith is not something that has no works. The Bible says, Wilt thou know, vain man, there in the book of James, that faith without works is a dead faith being alone? Faith has to work. Well, this upsets all the Baptists I was around. Faith has to work. Faith is just like a car. It's like a car. I'm not a very good artist, so y'all have to forgive it. Okay. Like a car. Now, this is faith. Faith has to work just like a car has to work. What makes it work is a motor. If somebody says, I bought a car, and you go over there and say, well, let me see under the hood. Well, it don't have a motor. Well, you didn't buy a car. You bought a shell. Well, what is the motor that makes faith work? The Bible says in Galatians 5 and 6, faith worketh by love. We can... You can't just look at the word love and go with what everybody says it means in English. Love has a definition. There's two words that have ambiguously been translated to the word love in the Greek in the English language. That is the word phileo and agape. And they are not the same words. I don't care what these preachers say. Preachers will say they're the same. No, they're not. The Bible says specifically. Phileo means to have affection. And you got all kind it means to like. When the Bible says God is love, it doesn't say God is phileo. It says God is agape. You've got all kinds of words, philia, philos, and they're forms of this word phileo, meaning a friend, 
and you can't be just friends with everybody, friends with the world or enemies of God. If you have an affection for the world, you get along with the world, you're in trouble with God. But agape, it's a very limited word. Agape was a relationship. When the Bible says, love your neighbor, love your enemy, this is always the word. Always agape. You get to where you're used to that. Agape. Well, agape was the was commandments that a king gave to his subjects. Gave subjects. Or a father gives to his family. That's why I keep quoting to family. That's why I keep quoting Second John 6. This is... I had a Greek professor tell me one time, he said, you'll find just as much meaning in the context of a word as you will defining the word out of a Greek dictionary. And he's exactly right because the Bible says this is, in 2 John 6, this is agape. Or it says agape equals walking after God's commandments after commandments that's what agape is you can't just come up and say love your neighbor like your neighbor take him ice cream and cake and that and help them get out of the ditch and stuff like that don't ever mention the bible to them you're not loving your neighbor unless you're telling them the truth somewhere along the way you got to say something to them about what the truth is. That's what loving your neighbor is. Do you do that to your neighbor? Me? I preach to everybody. I saw your neighbor across the street up at the store, up at Walmart the other day, Kim and her mother. And they said, Hi, Jim. I said, I don't know you. Who are you? They said, We're Kim and what's her name? Dula? Uh Zula. Huh? Zula. Zula. And I said, I don't know you. And they said, we're neighbors. And I started talking to them about uh, we're on TV, asking them if they had had uh, Comcast. They said, yes. I said, watch us Monday, Wednesday, Friday night at 8.30. And I reached in my pocket, pulled out a DVD, and said, here's one of my here's one of my DVDs with three messages on it. They said, they'd watch it. We'll find out. But anyway, anyway, uh, where was I? Faith and believe. So faith worketh by agape. Faith works by walking in the commandments of God. And everywhere you find agape, you can substitute walking in the commandments. That's an axiom out of algebra. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. If faith is or equals walking in the commandments of God excuse me agape if agape the word agape is love love it's just one of the words that's been translated agape has also been translated charity anytime you find charity 
It's agape, same word. I don't know why the translators did that. Maybe it was those Catholics trying to confuse everybody. I don't know. But if agape is walking in the commandments of God, it it equals that. This equals this. So if you find anything else equal to agape, you can substitute walking in the commandments of God. When the Bible says in Romans 9, Jacob have I loved. When you have a word, a noun, this is the noun, agapao is the verb. Jacob have I given my commandments to. So Jacob got the commandments of God, didn't he? Jacob have I loved, have I given my commandments to. Walking in my commandments was given to Jacob. Can you see that? Is that simple? That's real simple. Who got the commandments in the Old Testament? Israel. I thought you said Jacob got them. Jacob was Israel. His name was changed to Israel in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. When he had his meeting with that angel that came down and crippled him, he said, what's your name? He said, Jacob, heel catcher, one who trips people up. He said, from now on, Jacob, your name is going to be called Yisrael to prevail with God. And it was the commandments that he gave to Israel on Mount Sinai when Moses went up there. And that 18th chapter came down in the 20th chapter, and you have the Ten Commandments there. And that's where he started giving the law. So, everywhere you got agape. For God so loved the world. And the most important, this is an important word, that's agape or agapao. Well, if he doesn't write his laws, it's God that writes on fleshy tables of the heart. When he writes up on fleshy tables of our heart there in the, in the third chapter of Second, uh, Second Corinthians, it's God that writes up on our hearts. You don't have anything to do with writing God's words on your heart. That's something he does. And he doesn't do it to everybody. He only does it to his few elect. Only a few are going to find the narrow way. Because he writes up on their hearts. And this is nothing you do. You don't pray a sinner's prayer. You don't accept Christ. That's one of the great lies that Billy Graham spawned upon the world. There's no such thing as accept Christ when you're dead in sin. There's no such thing as a sinner's prayer. Will you pray to God the sinner's prayer? Oh yeah, you'll pray it but not before you believe. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Belief is the method of salvation. That's the action form of faith. And faith works by love, by walking in the commandments of God. You say, but I thought we weren't saved by works. We're not. Works are a product of a new creation that God makes us. 
I love to say this because my father and all of his Baptist friends, they love to quote Romans 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And they would say, not of works, not of works, not of works. They sounded like parrots. And they never went to verse 10. I never heard one preacher ever go to verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Good works. There we are with a word that's very ambiguous, whatever that means. It looks like it has more than one meaning. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Good works. But if you don't know, there's two words that have been translated out of the Greek text into good. You got the word kalos and agathos. A-G-A-T-H-O-S. Agathos is the word here in Ephesians 2.10. And kalos is a word over there in James the the fourth chapter that last verse says unto him that knoweth to do good doeth coloss and doeth it not to him it is sin and this word coloss is also translated honest but back to Ephesians 2.10 that we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained That we should walk in these good works. That's not works for salvation. That's faith that works by agape. I don't know why preachers don't ever see verse 10. And God hath before ordained pro-e-t-o-i-m-a-z-o. Pro-e-t-o-i-m-a-z-o. That is actually predestination because God hath before ordained pro means before hetoimas h-e-t-o-i-m-a-s just because I put an h in there don't think there's any h's in the alphabet there's not it's just like this e-t-o-i-m-a-s there's the diacritical mark it's a breathing sound hetoimas hetoimas Hetoimazo means to fit up in advance. Prohetoimazo means to fit up. We've been fit up in advance to walk in the good works of God. And it is God that works in you to willing to do of His good pleasure. If you do anything good, you're not going to be taking credit for it. You're going to say, This is God working in me. Nobody has a right to boast in anything. Nothing. I don't care if you play piano well, if you play guitar well or drums well, or you play instruments, or you sing well, or you or you work your job well. Nobody has a right to lift themselves up in anything that they do. Because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of Lights. And there's no shadow of turning in him. You can't brag in anything you're good at. It's just a gift from God. If God 
Some of us are self-starters. I'm a self-starter. I've always been a self-starter. I can just get out there and start doing something when I was younger and make money at it, selling something. I could put things together, get people to work in together. But that's not something you can boast about. That's nothing you can take credit for. It's like that verse over there in First Corinthians 4 and 7. I love that verse as much as any verse that I quote concerning man's abilities and his talent. The Bible says, Who made thee diff- to differ from another? Who made you different? Who gave you a talent for doing what you do? Or looking the way you look? Are you black? Are you white? Can you run fast? Or can you throw a ball? Or can you hit a ball far? Or can you just outdo people on a whole lot of things? Well, who made you different from another? And the implication is God. And what dost thou have that thou hast not received? What do you have in your life that you didn't get from God? Nothing. Nothing. And if thou didst receive it, and the implication is from God, why dost thou glory as though thou hadst not received it? Why are you taking the credit and glorying in it when it had nothing to do with anything in you? How can you take credit for being born again? Do you have any choice in that? None. Does a baby before it's conceived say, well, wait a minute. Somebody give me an invitation to him, and I'll, I'll find out if I want to be conceived or not. And as far as the birth, I'll, uh, I'll say, wait a minute, Mom, I don't know if I want to be born. Uh, well, I know that you've got these birth pangs, but uh, I'm just going to sit here. Oops, here I go. <laughs> you ain't got nothing to do with it. Of his own will begat he us. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God's will. And everything in your life that's good is God. Nothing is of you. God hath before ordained that we should walk in these things. I, without knowing these words, you're not going to understand. I don't believe people... They think the King James Bible is the Word of God. It's You can read a King James Bible and get enough truth to have conviction, but you can't really study it in depth until you go to the Greek text, and anybody can learn the Greek text. I can show everybody how to look up words. Once you look them up, I can show you how to memorize the al- alphabet. Then I'll show you how to look up the word in an English lexicon and it'll tell you what gender it is if it has F it's feminine gender if it has M it's masculine gender once you can look up these words in the Greek I don't know why people preachers are not even interested in doing this it doesn't take a genius to do it. It takes a long time. And if you come here, I'll show you how. Now, I had people write to me. I had a guy write to me and say, you're just being too negative. 
Let me read the definition of negative. Expressing, <coughs> denying, or refusal means to negate. Now, when Jesus said, there's so many ways to approach this. When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Aparneomai. It means to negate self. Op a r n e o m a i. Arneomai is the common word deny. Apo means a total removal of self. Negate self. You should be negative yourself about you. They, people will say, you need self-esteem. No, you don't. The Bible says, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. The lust of the flesh, lust, this is everything in the world, lust of flesh. Lust is the word epithumia. Is that important to know what, what that word means? I guess it is. Epi means to cover your life with thumos. Thumos means to breathe hard after. It means, I want that, I want that car, and I want, I work three jobs to get it. I want that woman, I'll do what I have to do to get her. Well, you may not want her after you get her. <laughs> lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life and we're all saying well we need there's three words for pride in the Greek language three words how do you know that I've looked at them I've looked all of them a hundred times or more and this word pride alizanyai this is everything in the world this is what Eve saw in the tree a tree that was good for food Fulfill the lust of her flesh, pleasant to the eye, and it would make her wise in her own conceits, and she could be proud. That word pride, A-L-A-Z-O-N-I-A. Now, this is what it means. Self-esteem. We don't need self-esteem like Zig Ziglar used to go around telling people. The Bible says, let a, other, let a man esteem another's wealth rather than himself. Be sure and look out for other people, not yourself. Well, I didn't say that. Paul said that. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Self-esteem. And it says, these are not of the Father. They're of the world. You're not supposed to, you're supposed to esteem others. 
you know, I used to look out for me years ago, and I thought, all I thought about was me and my career and my money and what I was going to do. You know, the only thing that really has made me happy is to forget me and whenever people are in trouble, try to go to their aid. That's the only thing that's got my mind off of me is thinking about others. And when you think about others, you don't have time for you. And all you're into is you. It's a... Uh, you know that self-esteem is a form of paranoia. It's thinking about yourself. It's in most everybody, it's a form of narcissism. Nar- Narcissus was an ancient Greek god. He was so handsome that he couldn't leave this pool of water he kept looking in the water and seeing his reflection and he fell in love with himself that he sat there and died staring at himself (laughs) that was narcissus so when somebody's a narcissistic person they're so in love with themselves they don't have time for others Uh that's right well All of us have a little bit of narcissism in us until God beats us and gets it out of us. That's just self. I keep saying the only problem, a demon was self. Jesus said, if any man would come after, let him deny himself. He didn't say let him deny his demons. And he said, take up his cross. In the first century, I didn't make this up. I read it out of my books, out of my Bible. In the first century, you couldn't be crucified on a cross if you're a Roman citizen. You had to be a slave or a criminal. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified as a criminal for breaking the law of the Pharisees. Now, so negative means to deny. When somebody says you're too negative, I say exactly, you're supposed to be. Now, let me give you the word meaning. It's an old, it's an old English word, M-A-E-N-E, mean, M-A-E-N-E. That's an old English word, or a Middle English word, mensen, M-E-N-S-E-N, means to have in mind or intend. What You can't just generalize something in the Bible and say, I think this means this or that. It has a meaning. I am a definition nut. I define everything. I'm sitting there at the TV when some stupid, silly commercial's on. I'm saying, that's dumb. That it can't be right. It's, if it's not butter, it's margarine, you know. <laughs> it means to design for a certain... This is what meaning means. Designed for a certain purpose to destine, to signify, not, and means to convey, or be a sign. You remember the word sign in the Bible? Remember what it is in the Greek? Simeon. Simeon. S-E-M-E-I-O-N. Sign, it'll give you signify in the definition. When you look at signify, the word sign is in the word signify. 
And what it means is a flag, a beacon, a signal. If you don't know what those words mean, the first verse of the book of Revelation, and I'll get back to this. Look at the first verse. And if you, Revelation is not a hard book. If you find out what these things mean. All right. I, if I'm not careful, I'll start teaching on Revelation. I've got to be careful. Make myself stop. The first verse. The revelation, not revelations, the apocalypsis. Now, why would God say the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypsis, if he wasn't going to do what apocalypsis means? The revelation, apo, K-A-L-U-P-I-S. We say apocalypse. And we think of an apocalypse as something hazy and fuzzy. That's not what this word means. Anytime some preachers preach on Revelation, they start talking about something foggy or something in a mist and, and four horsemen coming out of this mist. The four horsemen of the apocalypse is real simple if you study the Old Testament. It's just astounding to me. So a TV show one night showed this girl, and the title of the movie was The Rapture. I thought, oh, God, i got to watch this and see what it's about. And this dumb girl had a daughter that went out in the Arizona desert, and while she was driving out there, these four horsemen were clopping along, cloppity, cloppity, clop, passing her car. It's like, golly, <laughs> stupid. And they got out there in the desert. She killed her daughter so she wouldn't have to face all these things coming on the world. I don't remember how it ended. I thought, dumb movie. If you look, well, let me read this verse and then I'll show you. It's how simple it is. The four horsemen. The revelation of Jesus Christ who God gave unto him to show unto his servants what must shortly come to pass and it and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Signified. Simeon. Simeon. It means he's going to give flags or beacons or signals. You have to get the right kind of flag or the right kind of beacon. If you've got a ship out here in the ocean, and we'll put a sail on it, okay. Got a ship... You got a big old rock over here, or you got some, huh? We can't see. You got a beacon in there. Okay. <laughs> and you got a bunch of, you got some rocks here, and the ship don't know that, and you got a lighthouse, and it's shining this light out here. That is to warn this ship. It's a signal that there's rocks here. Stay away from this area. Or if you have a... That's a Simeon. This is a Simeon. 
if you have this thing that looks like train tracks and you got this post and you got something that looks like a cross there and you got these little red lights you got a bar going across here and the road comes up there to it and you hear ding 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 that is a simeon it's a signal that there's a train coming that's how simple simeon means are to signify so what john is saying or if you're in a balloon here you're in a, a blimp and it says good year on it. It don't mean I hope you have a good year. It means there's some tires for sale at the Goodyear store. That's a Simeon. Everything in Revelation is fairly simple if you read the Old Testament. I mean over and over and over again. I read the Old Testament constantly, studied the books and and I found out what these things in Revelation mean. There was something I kept noticing over and over and over and over. It's happened in the Old Testament. I noticed that God told Israel, if you go after these other gods, I'm going to send these judgments, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. And the beast, I'll send these three over and over again. The beast will be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard, and the beast with iron teeth that will destroy all these others. I kept seeing sword, famine, pestilence, and beast. That is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's what it's... It's amazing... How you can find all these things. Look over here in Revelation 6. If you don't learn what the Bible's about and what these words are about, you'll be bumping your head against the wall from now on, just like all these preachers out here. Chapter 6. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse. Now any time you see a white horse and a man is riding on it, usually the empress rode on a white horse up to the battle line, stood and watched over a hill while their armies fought. The white horse can be either Christ or it can be the world ruling system. Due to the fact of what you find the next three, the next three horsemen, this has to be the world ruling beast, the man of sin. Because you go open the second seal in verse 3, and I heard the second beast say, Come and see. Well, you're not going to understand this if you hadn't read Sword, Famine, Pestilence, Beast over and over in the Old Testament. And there was, there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat there on the uh, thereon to take peace from the earth, and they did kill one another, and there was given unto him a sword. Oh. So you got the beast, the beast will come on the scene at the end of time, 
and he's named first the beast world system. You find that beast in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. So you've got the sword. you got the beast on the scene first, the beast world ruling system that will be here at the end of time. And then he says, When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. What's this measure? It's a measuring balance to measure food. He's going to measure out the famine that's going to be here. So we've got sword. We're fixing to get famine. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, The guy that's got the scale, a measure of wheat for a penny. Now, if you don't know that a measure would feed a man, one man for a day, wheat was the rich man's food. You can get that out of these encyclopedias that I read out of. And three measures of barley for a penny. A penny was a denarius. D-E-N-A-R-I-U-S. A Daenerys was the day's wages for a Roman soldier or for a slave out in the field. That's what they made, a Daenerys, a penny. Didn't mean a one of our pennies. So it's talking about you can three, feed three poor people with three measures of penny for a day, or you can feed one wealthy guy. And then he says, so we've got the sword, we've got the famine, we have the beast. The first horse that comes is the beast. See, thou heard not the oil and the wine. Oil and wine was for the wealthy only. So when it gets bad, the wealthy are not going to be hurting. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death and Hell, followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the field. The, that last beast is the pestilence that's come. So what you've got in these four Beast, you got the beast, the sword, the famine, the pestilence. You're not going to know that. If you take your concordance, open up to sword, it'll have over and over sword, famine, pestilence, sword, famine, pestilence, sword, famine, pestilence. All through the Old Testament. It's not hard. You've got to define what the words mean. These are signs. These are simeons. Simeons. I could give you one more here in Revelation just to show you how simple it is. Goodness gracious. How much time do I have, Mike? 38. All right. Let me give you one of my favorites to give people. Go to chapter 9. This is the way I teach Revelation, except I go into a lot more detail. You've got... If I'm not careful, I'll want to get carried away with this. Starting in chapter 8, 9, and 10, you got seven angels with seven trumpets. Let me show you who the seven angels are. Back up to chapter 1. 
chapter 1. Christ is standing in the midst of seven candlesticks. Seven candlesticks. I wonder where that first came into being in the Bible. Could it be Exodus, the 25th chapter? I think so. So if you don't know, if you had seven candlesticks, and that's in the 25th chapter of Exodus when God commands Moses to build the furniture of the of the tabernacle and he says build these candlesticks made them out of beaten gold and he goes through the beaten gold of the altar of incense the beaten gold of the table of showbread and the beaten gold of the of the uh, temple the four pieces of furniture the 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 ark of the covenant that's made of beaten gold. Then the table of showbread, that's beaten gold. The altar of incense is beaten gold. Seven candlesticks, beaten gold. And then you've got the uh, brazen sea made out of bronze. And the altar where they offered the sacrifice is also out of bronze. Some say it was copper, but I don't know what it was or not. Then he says, I'm just going to show you who these seven angels are in 8 and 9. I'll show you there, 8, 9, and 10. In verse 16, Jesus admits the candlesticks. And it'll tell you who the candlesticks are, and it'll tell you who these seven angels are. In verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars. Well, I can't do seven stars without thinking about the Pleiades. And the Jews believed the Pleiades brought the sap up in the springtime because in the spring is when you can see the seven stars in Pleiades with, the, with the, just the natural eye, if you got good eyesight. You can see the seven stars. So they gave, the rabbis gave credit to the seven stars as being, bringing the sap up in the vine. In the 38th chapter of Job, the Bible, God's comment to Job, can you bind the sweet influences of Pleiades? The sweet influences of Pleiades, God wasn't saying that Pleiades caused the plants to start blooming. He was using the custom of the rabbis to tell them what he would do with Pleiades. He said, I can bind the sweet influences of Pleiades. The sweet influences of Pleiades, according to the rabbis, would be the apple blossoms in the spring, the honeysuckle, the the, the new mown hay. That would be the sweet influences. He said, I can bind that and stop that and bring famine. But if you're not familiar with famine being God's first judgment, you won't have any idea what that's talking about. Rereading over there in Job, the 38th chapter. He said, I can loose the bands of Orion. Can you loose the bands of Orion? They said Orion was the evening star in the winter and it drew the sap down into the, back down into the earth. That's when the crops died at the end of the harvest. So he says, I can loose the bands of Orion. 
what that meant, you can get Orion and Pleiades out of the McClinic and Straw. What that meant, you can be going through January like we've been doing here, fairly warm, and let it warm up for about two to three weeks. And the crocuses and the daffodils will come out. God says, I'll hit you with a freeze and kill your crops if you go after another god. That would be famine. So, and the Lord told Amos, the fifth chapter, Amos said, Seek not the seven stars. Seek him who maketh the seven stars in Orion. There's seven stars in the Big Dipper. (laughs) Seven stars, and that's the swastika, isn't it? He said, Seek not the seven stars. They were worshiping the seven stars. I've put this up here before. That was called the wheel of the year. Except I have to do this. They would bend the end of this down like that. And I have to do the same thing here. And they said this swastika was gave them crops in the spring. If this is summer, summer, fall, you're going into winter here. And there were seven stars in this big dipper which is the swastika. And they wanted to get through winter, get around to the spring, so at Ostera or Easter, they could have crops. All of the... Do you know that all the things in the Bible are about God having His people obedient to Him, and I'll fill up your fields, I'll fill up your storehouses, and you'll have everything you need, but you've got to leave one year out of seven... A sabbatical year, you got to leave the land for the eye fallow, and you can't plant anything or harvest anything that year. You can find that in the 25th chapter of Leviticus. So, it's amazing to me how he ties these seven stars. And they called the Pleiades the morning star. Now, who is the morning star in Revelation 22? He's the morning star. What kind of fruit do we have when we worship the true morning star, Christ? We have the fruit of the Spirit, don't we? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. There in Galatians 5.22. Have you noticed how all these things just blend together? I believe God is so magnificent in his ordination of everything, it's all mathematically structured and it fits. And you look down here in verse 20. He'll tell you who the seven stars are and who the seven candlesticks are. Chapter 1. Ah, chapter 1. Yeah. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and I keep in mind the Pleiades, 
the morning star that they said brought the sap up. And Jesus is the morning star who brings the sap up in our lives and gives us the fruit of the Spirit. It's an exact parallel with what the what the rabbi said. And the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Remember angel is angelos A G G E L O S Forget angel, that's a bad translation. I don't know why they put angel. It makes people think, oh, some angel's flying around. And Did you know angel, every time it's mentioned in the Bible, is masculine gender. It's never females. Masculine. means messenger. Why didn't they just put messenger? Keep people out of their goofy imaginations. The Bible says anybody who says they've seen angels... There in Colossians, that second chapter, they're deceived. But it's talking about heavenly beings. Now, so he says, in the seven candlesticks I saw us are the seven churches. I like to put it this way. The word seven is the word Shabbat in the Hebrew. It comes from the word Shabua, S-H-A-B. U-A-H, this is a morpheme. Morpheme means shapes, word shapes. Shabua is just a form of Shabbat. Shabbat is the word seven. And Shabua means to take an oath to God. To take an oath. But it also means two, seven, oneself to seven oneself the Bible says in Second Peter 1 and 5 besides all this give all diligence add to your faith add is not an invitation to add to your faith if you're a believer this is the word epikoregeo epi C-H-O-R-E-G-E-O comes from epi means to superimpose choregeo we get the word choreography from that comes from choros which is the word it's a dance it's a dance and I go means a dance leader. I've got a dance for you to cover your life with. Add to your faith and you name seven things. And that's how you seven yourself. But first of all, virtue, erate, the first word you add, means maturity. How long does it take you to mature in the faith? 30, 40 years, 50 years? 60, 80, 90, 100. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> takes a long time. How long does it take you to add knowledge? I study all the time, and I don't feel like I know that much. I don't. I never quit reading. I constantly read books. Maybe you don't even notice me doing that, even if I'm watching a football game. 
I got a book in front of me. I got a McClinic and Strong or a Hastings. So I'm looking up game. I'm just constantly adding as much information. The reason men can't tell the truth in America, I'm going to tell you why. I'll get back to this in a minute. Here's why they can't tell the truth. Go back to Second Peter. You won't hear any of them talking about the things that I'm talking about. Second Peter, the third chapter, verse 16. As also all of his epistles, Peter's commenting about Paul's epistles. Speaking in them of those things in which are some things hard to be understood. They're, the reason they're hard to be understood, he tells you why in the next phrase. Which they that are unlearned, they're unlearned. The word unlearned is amathes, A-M-A-T-H-E-S. A-M-A-T-H-E-S. It comes from mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. We got our word mathematics from that. If you're going to do math, you go by all the laws of math. When you place the alpha in front of a word as a negative particle, it means no learning. They're unlearned. They don't know what these words mean. There's not a preacher in this town that knows these words that I'm giving to you. I have spent 63 years studying Bible. I've spent over 40 years just digging into the Greek constantly. They don't know these words. I know they don't. I dare you, one of you guys, to I'm looking at the camera. I dare you to call me and tell me you're familiar with all this. It just is disgusting. It's They're too busy building church factories. That's all they are, factories. They're unlearned, and they're unstable, and they rest. Strablao. S-T-R-E-B-L-O. They wrench the Word of God. They pervert it. These charismatics with their prosperity gospel, they'd lie through their teeth. Why do you get mad, Jim? I know the meaning of a lot of these words. A lot of the culture, they don't know nothing. Kenneth Copeland is dumber than a rock. And so is T.D. Jakes, and so is Joyce Myers. You might as well listen to a like Mary says, a clapper to a goose's tail just to get, just to listen to her. She don't say nothing. Nothing biblical. I don't know why God just don't kill them, but he, I said that to Eric one day. He said, God may be reserving them for judgment. I said, I believe he is. Well, he tells you that unto their own destruction. Yep, they rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. That's why. Now, let's go back over here to Revelation. The signals that God gives. I'm showing you how it's not as hard as you think. It's hard to learn it on your own with nobody teaching you. And that's, 
It was only the Holy Spirit that taught me because I was intent just to grill, 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 grill myself. I have sat up all night long for decades studying. You know how many times I've looked at these words? Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds of times. I'm never satisfied with what I've already studied. I go back and look at it again and again and again. Now look back over here. at. So you know who the seven candlesticks are. You know what I like to call this? God names the seven candlesticks in Revelation 2 and 3. Each one of them has a glitch or a sin in their church, a sin in their life that they got to correct. But when they add the seven things to their faith, then there are a sevened church. They have to be sevened and add those seven things there. You can read those yourself. I won't go through those once I get on them. I'll stay on them for an hour or two hours or three hours. Now go back. I'll give you one of the simple things. This is like falling off of a log. And I've heard John MacArthur, I got his book on Revelation. He said he thinks that these demons coming out of the... He thinks these in Revelation 9... When a fifth angel sounds, and now remember, the angels are the messengers of the seven churches. And the preachers in the first century was called angels or messengers, angelos. Now, the fifth angel sounded, verse 1 I saw a star fall from heaven. I wonder what the star is. Church message. <laughs> it's, the, it's the message of the church. The seven angels are the seven stars on the right hand of Christ. You've got to keep going back to previous verses. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. That's a terrible translation, bottomless pit. I hate that word because that's not the word. What's the Greek word? Well, abusos. I'm getting into my Sunday night message here. I hadn't preached on it in a while, and I'm just getting into it, showing you how you learn what the Bible means. Now, what was I? Okay, bottomless pit. Terrible, terrible, terrible translation. Must have been some Roman Catholic that did that. The word bottomless pit is actually the word A-B-U-S-S-O-S. Abusos. It's our word abyss. When you go down to one of those waterfalls in South America, you can be standing on top of a waterfall looking down a thousand feet, and it's just a mist coming up. You say, I wonder what's there. It's an abyss. Abyss comes from the word bathos. Bathos means something of great knowledge. When the Bible speaks of the deep things of God over there in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, 
Bathos is the word deep. When you place the alpha in front of a word as a negative particle, and that's what the construction of busas is. It's a negative particle. It means a place of no knowledge. That's what it is. It's not a, It's not bottomless pit. That's stupid. I don't know who translated that. Here's the whole point here. This Mediterranean region was where the beast rose up out of this sea. Babylon, which is Iraq. Persia, which is Iran and Pakistan, Afghanistan, the stands over there. Assyria, Persia, Greece, and Rome. These were the beast world systems that was ruling in the Mediterranean area. And in the Mediterranean area... God only gave Israel his truth. Everyone else had no knowledge of God. It's how simple it is. If you look at a map, you might learn something and define these words. So, not bottomless pit, abyss, a place of no knowledge. And he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit. I love that. How much time do I have, Seth? I want to explain this. Sixteen. It was a place of no knowledge, and there was smoke. Let's go to First Timothy, sixth chapter. Sixth chapter. I may have to continue this next week. It's talking about teaching the truth of God. Verse 3. If any man teach otherwise. Otherwise. Teach otherwise is the word hetero. Didascalia. D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-E-O. Didascaleo means to teach. Hetero means other. A heterosexual is an other sex. That's a Greek word. Not an American word. We didn't invent that. They did. If any man preach otherwise and consent not to wholesome, well, I love that word, hugiano, H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. Uncorrupt words. Same word as health prosper and be in health, uncorrupt words. Don't have time to get in a prosper other than to say you hodos, well way, and Jesus is the way, and the way is narrow. He didn't consent to the Hugiano words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, the didache, which is according to Godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, what is it that's the bottomless pit? What's, what's coming out of the bottomless pit is locusts that are like scorpions. False teachers. Huh? False teachers, that's right. But notice this, he's proud. The word proud is the word tufao. T-U-P-H-O-O. It is a form of tuflos, meaning blind. 
The word tufao means conceded. This is another word. Remember I gave you Alexania, self-esteem, over there in First John 2.16. All that's in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Alexania was the word pride. Means self-esteem. Here's one of the other words for pride or proud. Proud means to be slowly consumed by smoke with no fire. That's what this word tufao means. Means conceited. Now, so let's go back over here. So, a man that preaches otherwise, let me finish reading that. He's proud, he knows nothing. That's the same thing that you're going to find going on over there in that ninth chapter of Revelation. Doting about questions and strifes of words, where comes envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, diaphathero, their minds are rotten, and destitute of the truth, and these men that know nothing, look what they do. Supposing that gain is godliness. Supposing is the word nomizo. It is a form of nomos, which is the word law. In the Greek, it means legal food for animals, in our case, sheep. These men that know nothing, they've legalized gain as godly that's what Kenneth Copeland does he says if you give to God he's obligated to give back to you that's called pro quid pro God is not obligated to give anybody anything for of him and to him and through him or all things it's already his it's his that's right now go back over to chapter 9 if you don't know these things how are you going to this is real very simple when you know the meaning of these words he opened the place of no knowledge not bottomless pit the place of no knowledge and there rose a smoke out of the pit because these people in it were conceited as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit and there came out of the smoke locusts but you got to connect the locust with the darkened part locust was a fear of the Jews boy they were terrified of locusts here's a locust here somebody gave this to me this is a small one they were up to six to seven inches long somebody put crouch on the side of that The locusts were like scorpions. The locusts would come in hundreds of billions. When God says, I'll bring sword famine, one of the ways he had of bringing famine was send locusts. And they could devour fields in a matter of minutes. And the people were terrified when they saw him coming. They would, oh God, our fields are gone. We're going to starve this winter. Because you went after other gods, Israel. I think on the internet it shows a tree. 
I've got a picture of a tree. Yeah, I've got a picture of one. And the locusts were like scorpions. How were they like scorpions? We'll define the word. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Scorpion, I keep saying this. You have a noun and a verb form. The noun is scorpios. The verb is S-K-O-R-P-I-Z-O. That's the verb. And this word scorpizo means to scatter. To scatter abroad. When, if you look at John 10, John 10, huh? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I do too. Scatter abroad. And looking over there at John 10, you have to go all over the Bible to find the answers to Revelation. Look at John 10. John 10. You can't just come up and do this simple. I'll tell you what, you got something I didn't have learning. You got a teacher to teach you and to tell you. Listen to me. I got a lot of information. Most of it's up here in my head. I told uh, your neighbors the other day, I said, I got encyclopedias up here. I said, You wouldn't believe what's on that those tapes. I can talk about this all day and all I don't mean that in a boast. I've spent that much time in it. Look here in John ten. The parable of the good shepherd. John 10. Here's the verb form of scorpion. John 10. Am I in it? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. All right. Uh, Down here in verse 12. But he that is an hireling, the man that's hired for money in the church or in the flock, and not the shepherd who's owned the sheep or not, he doesn't own them and he doesn't care about them. Seeth the wolf coming. When you look at wolves, Jesus said false teachers are wolves in Matthew 7. And leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep, that word scatters the verb form of scorpion. And look over here in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, the second chapter. Ezekiel's been carried off into Babylon during the second deportation. He was carried into Babylon. Look here at Ezekiel, the second chapter. Look here in verse 5. He's talking to Ezekiel, telling him telling him uh, these visions he wants him to write down. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, talking about Israel that's been carried into Babylon. 
yet know that there hath been a prophet among them. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Don't be afraid of their words. Scorpion was an old ancient term for lying false teachers. Nor dis- dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Am I running out of time, Mike? Five minutes. Five minutes. Go back over here to chapter 9. And he says, There came out of the smoke, out of this pride, locusts that ate up the food of the people upon the earth, they were like scorpions of the earth that have power. Scorpions eat up the legal food of God, the law of God, and the and the locusts eat up the crops. That's how they're like scorpions. It's not hard when you know the meaning of the words and where to go, is it? And it when he goes on to say it was commanded they hurt not the grass of the earth. Scorpions are not interested in grass, and the locusts are the ones that are interested in grass. Neither are any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. I don't have time to go into this. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. Five months is the lifespan of a locust. But you got to know those things. I haven't even begun to get into all of my words. Deny is a word in the Middle English. It means to negate, to be untrue. If you deny self, you've got to contradict yourself and say, I'm not the truth. Only God's word is true. It means to refuse to accept as true or right. If you deny self, you deny all your own personal desires. The more I learn, the more I learn, the easier it is to live for the Lord. I've learned so much since I passed 50. I didn't think I could learn that much. I've learned more since I passed 60 20 years ago than I learned all the rest of my life put together. I want to say so many things. You've got to know what these words mean. What I've said about Revelation it doesn't but seem so hard since somebody has dug it out for you, it does it. Does that seem too hard to learn? It's not. Do you think God will actually give us a book that was too hard for us to understand? But if we're thinking in twenty and twenty first century thought, we're not gonna understand what they said two thousand years ago. When I say, bless you to you when men shall reproach you, that's something America doesn't want to hear the definition of reproach. Man, that, that'll sink everybody. Reproach, aniedzo. That's the word reproach. 
Now, what do you have to be if you're going to be a high-rolling real estate agent, a high-rolling singer, a high-rolling football player? You have to be famous, don't you? Reproach means infamous, infamous. You're only blessed when you become infamous because you tell people the truth about the Christ mass. You tell them the truth about predestination. You tell them they have to die daily, take their cross daily. But nobody knows what a cross is. Nobody knows what death to self is. Nobody what's They don't want to hear self-denial. Refuse yourself. Do they? You ever hear anybody talk about that? I don't. Well, the world says the opposite. The world says you got to be you got to be famous to a degree to really be good and make a lot of money in business. You got to be real popular among a lot of people to be a hotshot real estate agent. I know. It's it's amazing how people don't know these words. Um, am I out of time? Yeah. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your words, your meanings, and the desire to dig them out and find out what they are. I pray you'll help the church to be diligent in listening to these words. Thank you for everything you do. Fight our battles for us. We can't fight them. There's people that want to destroy us. Lord, stop them. Let us cheer that family. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Talking about these false teachers, they lie fast as they talk. You don't want to listen to Kenneth Copeland for an hour and a half, do you? Here's the um, here's the rates for Kansas. I'll get you on Sunday morning about seven to eight or eight to eight to nine for seventy-five bucks. You've got all the other ones are real high. Yeah, they are. Okay. So I'll just get you on Sunday morning. I mean, those people in Kansas will wake up too. Okay, well, get us on about eight if you can. Yeah, well, eight, you know, seven to eight or eight to nine. But I'll shoot. For okay, eight. okay, that's fine. Whew. Did you learn anything? Yeah, it was good. I couldn't wait fast enough. You couldn't. <laughs> Most of what you said. Well, that's what those that's what those tape that's what those DVDs are for. So you can go back and look at it over and over.
Yeah. Yeah, you can. Jesus. Yes, sir. How you doing? Doing okay. You? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing all right. I guess. It's kind of. I'm doing a lot better since I got the uh, out of the hospital this time. Yeah. And it turned out uh, I had a uh, I had my heart my heart, heart surgery. They put stitches in my heart, and it turns out the stitches was blocking the flow blood flow. Really? And that's why I ended up back in the hospital again. I was having pain. They put a stint in to, to clear that up. Did Henry's wife tell you that she didn't think he was going to live much longer? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Now I was up there. That's what she was saying to me. She told me, when we went up there and saw her and him, she she said he's winding down the way she worded it. And I, uh, I, I, I love old Henry. She say dying in front of him. She was in front of him when, you know. I love old Henry. He really believed the truth. He loved it. Oh, I, I, I thought the world of Henry had me too. several times. He's, he's a genuinely good guy. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I was picking him up some. Were you? Yes, sir. I was driving to Nashville and picking him up. Sleep.